and welcome to Challenges That Change Us, the podcast where we talk to our guests about how their challenges have impacted them today and how they overcame them. Whether you are someone that feels like you are thriving right now, trudging through the mud or somewhere in between, this podcast is designed to give you practical advice, profound insight into your own experience and inspire you to embrace your life. My name is Ali Flynn, the co-founder and CEO of Tri Altitude Performance, and I will be your host. It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back for another week of Challenges That Change Us. As promised, I am running a disc personality profiling workshop face-to-face in Armidale on April the 2nd from 1 to 4 p.m. There is a link in the show notes and I will be adding more information to our Facebook group Challenges That Change Us. So if you are not a member of our community, pause this pod now and jump into our Facebook to join. Disc personality profiling is the world's number one behavioral assessment tool taken by millions of people every year. It is a simple yet powerful framework used to articulate common ways human beings respond, relate and behave to each other. We dive deep into what drives and motivates human behavior and you will walk away with a step-by-step guide to communication. It can be applied in a workplace, at home, in your intimate relationships. If you've always wanted to do a personality test and now is your chance, limited spots, so jump on today if you're interested. Let me introduce you to Tim Elliott. He is a senior writer at The Good Weekend, the Sunday magazine for the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, where he won two Kennedy Awards and has been nominated for a Walkley. His work has also appeared in the London's Financial Times, the Sunday Times and The Australian. He has won multiple awards, including Best Feature at the Australian Magazine Awards and from the Australian Society of Magazine Editors. A 2014 Good Weekend story by Tim about his father's suicide generated one of the largest reader responses in the history of the Sydney Morning Herald, which led to his book, Farewell to the Father, in 2016. His first book, The Bolivian Times, is an account of the six months he spent working on an English-language newspaper in South America. Today, Tim and I discuss the 12 tribes, a Christian fundamentalist sect with communities all over the world, including here in Australia. Members of the 12 tribes live a life of bizarre ritual and extreme beliefs. Children are severely disciplined and beaten. Adults are separated from their friends and family. It is a highly controlled environment where members believe it's their job to raise an army of 144,000 boy angels who will save the world by beating Satan. We discuss how people find out about the 12 tribes and become members of this group, the price they pay once they are a member, the bizarre and dangerous allegations, and we raise the question, what are the police doing with this information? Tim is the host of the podcast, Inside the Tribe, which I highly recommend you go across and listen to after this episode. It is an in-depth account of what we talk about here today. There is a trigger warning on this episode for religious cults, child abuse, murder, and highly controlled environments. If this is not the right episode for you today, please skip it and we will see you next week. If any of this content causes you distress, 
know that there is help available and call Lifeline on 13 11 14. This is an episode that once you start, I doubt you will be able to put it down. Welcome, Tim, to Challenges That Change Us. Thank you for coming on today. No, thanks, Sally, for having me. It's great. Love to start every episode with asking our guests what animal best describes you and what is it about that animal? Okay. I have the cheesiest answer. I was going to have a really cheesy answer. I was going to say a dolphin because I love surfing and I love the ocean and I love swimming and that's my happy place. But I then realized how cheesy that was. So I'm going to go for a few different animals. I'm going to say a dolphin, maybe crossed with a mole, a mole rat, because I often want to retreat. I'm paranoid and anxious. I don't want to run away. Couple with maybe maybe a dog. I don't know, because I'm I can kind of I just want to be patted and loved. There you go. <laughs> We've never had a mole rat on the episodes to date. I was trying to think if I've ever even seen one in life. Have you seen one? Yeah, they're, yeah. Uh, well, actually, uh, you know what I have seen? Not necessarily a mole, but I have seen little. They're like a bilby. That I they uh, I live on the northern beaches, and there's a lot of them around where I live. And they got long noses, and they stick their nose in the ground, and they sort of root around in the ground, and then they run away very quickly when they see you. There you go. Instead of a mole, I can be kind of like a bilby. <laughs> An Aussie animal. Yes. <laughs> so, Tim, it'd be really nice for us to get to know a little bit about you before we get into the big discussion we're going to be having today about the 12 tribes. Do you want to tell us what where you started, like how you got into journalism in the first place? Yeah, I got into journalism because I, in the very first instance, I wanted to write. Ever since I was a young boy, I wanted to write stories and I used to write a lot of stories ever since I was about eight or nine or ten. So, I'd write anything really, just little bits and pieces, stories I thought were exciting. Never used to finish them, obviously. And then as I grew older, I, was, I read a lot. And so I wanted to get into anything that had to do with storytelling and writing. And after a while, as I grew older, I realised the easiest entree into that was journalism. So you could get paid for, for writing stories. And I just kind of went from there. I started working for surf magazines, actually, and then just progressed to the Sydney Morning Herald, other magazines, overseas newspapers, and I currently work at Good Weekend, which is the Saturday magazine for the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. It's a sort of, we've had a couple of journalists come on previously, and for someone like me that hasn't been in that world, it feels like a world that's out of reach. Do you know what I mean? Like, was it something that you easily slipped into, or is it a really challenging career where you've got to like, it's really tough to kind of work your way up? It's a good question. It wasn't easy in the sense that I kind of like, I didn't go to uni and do a journalism degree. I did an arts degree with a history and English major. And then I just kind of made it up and I started writing freelance stories and Sydney evening to newspapers and magazines and went from there. But the hard thing is that you just got to, if you really want to have a viable career, I think you've just like any other career, you just got to keep on going. So it's, the old saying, 5% inspiration, 95% perspiration. You just got to work your guts out and stick with it. And this has led you through to the new podcast. So congratulations. It's doing phenomenally inside the tribe for anyone that hasn't jumped on and, and had a listen. I know that you'll go straight across after this episode. It's hit top five in Australia and it only launched last year. I know. It's gone from, it sort of hovers around. It's extraordinary. I could not have expected or hoped for more. Like it yeah. was during summer, it was one and two in the top of all categories 
in both Spotify and Apple podcasts. Now it's kind of sort of two, three, four, you know, it's just amazing. I just couldn't believe it. Yeah, congratulations. There's a huge amount of work that goes behind setting something like that up, but also then, you know, holding that space as it can, it grows, you know, as it scales. And I, I can only imagine how many people are reaching out to you now. Let's talk a little bit about it though. Like why this story? Why now? Why now? Well, like journalism in general, it took a long time and it in it took a long time to gestate. Okay. So in 2007, when I sort of just started working for the Herald, I did a story about a profession called deprogrammers or exit counsellors, as they're known. These are people who help other people get out of coercive relationships, exit cults. They sort of extract them from cults. Okay. I was fascinated by that. Can't remember why I did it, just because I was interested, I think. Like literally a couple of weeks later, I get a call from a guy called Matthew Klein an Aussie guy who told me the most incredible story. He appears in the in the podcast as well. He had joined a group called the 12 Tribes, which was a group I'd never heard of. It was a worldwide Christian fundamentalist sect and it had a base in Picton just out of, outside of Sydney and businesses in Australia and it was quite well established. And he said to me, you need to look into this group. It's really destructive. It's really, really messed up and it's ruining people's lives. Basically what had happened to him is he just managed to escape and he'd managed to escape with his three children, but he, his wife decided to stay in the group and she was that devoted and that trapped and caught up in it. And so I wrote his story and I, I've basically been in touch with him ever since and been following the 12 tribes and their activities ever since. And as we listen to the podcast, you kind of take us on that journey with you around what 12 tribes is, which is what I want to go into a little bit more, but also when someone from outside of it got like a sneak peek in, it's like they kind of looked over the fence and looked in and then everything got shut down, you know, and then it would keep going for a little bit more. And then it was like it bubbled to the surface and someone external to it would, whether that be police or, or lawyers or, or someone, a neighbor or a friend, you know, kind of alerted someone to it and then everything yeah. would shut down again. That's kind of what it sounded like when I was listening to the podcast. Yeah, I got, <laughs> it's really, it is a crazy story. The reason I kind of revisited it in a sense, because I've done a lot of stories over the years, stories that just blew my mind to the stage where I got Matthew called me up at one stage and said to me, oh, I've got to tell you, there are cult members on the property in Picton, which is a farm out there, beautiful property they own, are having stillborn babies and burying them in the bush on the property. So digging shallow graves and burying these babies. I said to him, I actually don't believe that. It just seems so extraordinary to me. And out there I just sort of went, really? Like they're burying babies on their property without registering, they're just going up in the bush. And as it turned out, it was true. And it just from there on, it just seemed that every outrageous and bizarre and dangerous allegation that's been made about this group has come true. Mm. And the reason I was just about to say before, one of the reasons I revisited the group was because in 2019 I got a call from a woman who lives in Katoomba. Katoomba is in the Blue Mountains just outside of Sydney and the cult owns a, a cafe there, a restaurant, a very popular restaurant called Common Ground 
And she said to me, I just get a funny feeling about this group. You know, I've heard around town they're burying stillborn babies. There's a lot of stillbirths in the group because they're not looking after their the women in the group well enough. And then what they do is bury the babies in the bush. And I went, oh, my God, this is really happening. And then I jumped back in and followed the story and we went from there. Is this the first time? Well, first of all, let's go into 12 tribes. I think maybe give us a bit of background around what you know about 12 tribes, where it originated and then kind of where it is sitting today. And then I'm going to ask you some really specific questions about it. Okay. So the 12 tribes is a Christian fundamentalist sect with communities all around the world. So it's a small group. It's only about three or 4,000 people, but it's one of the most high control groups I've ever seen in my life. They have communities in everywhere, England, Australia, Spain, Argentina, Brazil, America, everywhere. What they believe in is essentially, it's very strange and hard to explain, they believe that the world is coming to an end, which is common, but they believe that they are raising a, it's their job and they have the sole ability to save the world by raising an army of pure born, a pure born army of 144,000 boy soldiers, boy angels who will go into battle during Armageddon and defeat Satan, okay? So the way they go about this is by isolating themselves from modern society. So they don't believe in reading newspapers, watching TV, no radio, magazines, no computers. They homeschool. The only texts are those which are approved by the elders in the group. Children don't play games or partake in anything that the elders consider to be a distraction or foolishness. The kids are severely disciplined. If you do anything wrong as a child, if you do not obey an adult, and that means any adult, not just your parents, then you get severely beaten. And it's it's what's called a high-control group. So once you are in there, it's very hard to extract yourself. People do it, obviously. But once you enter the 12 tribes, they give you a new name. It's a Hebrew name. You drop your old name. You forget about that. You get a new set of clothes. You give all your possessions to the group. And you live in a community where ostensibly it's a kind of a rural nirvana and you're all working for each other and you all love one another and there's no superiors. Essentially, you fall in love with the group, especially if you, you long for belonging. But the price you pay for that belonging is that you lose yourself over time. You lose your family and friends on the outside and you lose your own thoughts and essentially you lose who you are and it can destroy lives. There's a few things you said there when you said, you know, everyone loves one another and there's no superiors. When I listen to your podcast, I'm like, it sounds almost the opposite to that, right? Like, do you love <laughs> yeah. someone if you're beating them, do you know? And we're going to definitely get into some of some of that. How do people end up in a situation where they meet people from the 12 tribes in the first place? So the 12 tribes are canny recruiters. They have a series of businesses, demolition crews, painting crews, but the most effective way that they meet people is at fairs and festivals where they usually run mobile cafes. So they'll take their common ground cafe and set it up at, say, Woodford Folk Festival. They used to do it at the Royal Easter Show until they got banned because one of our stories. 
they can, number one, make a lot of money over a weekend. They can make hundreds and thousands of dollars. But in the process of providing really lovely food for people, they're getting their name out there, not necessarily 12 tries, but what they do is they can pass out what they call free papers. The free papers are like basically a, a newsletter they produce, which explains their beliefs, and they just give it to people. It's like any other group. It's like, hey, you look like you need a home or you look like you could do with some friends or how, you know, how are you going there? You know, we're from a certain group and we've got a lot to offer and um, do you want to be part of it? And people who are vulnerable at a certain time in their lives, which is most of us at some point in our Mm -hmm. lives, will be vulnerable to that kind of entreaty where you want to belong, you know, you want to believe, you want to belong, you want to be loved. And that's how people go into it. So how does it go from sitting there at a takeaway coffee shop to actually fully integrating into this world? Yeah, okay. So what they do is usually they'll say, you know, if you're interested and you express, yeah, you're like, oh, look, that looks amazing. I, I'm looking for something different. I want to opt out of society. Idealistic people go, okay, yeah, that sounds great. The couple that forms the basis of our story, Mark and Rose, the Sydney couple, who got sucked into this world, they were just idealists. So they heard about um, the group, uh, were approached by a member of the group. They were asked to come to the cults or the group's 12 tribes property on a Friday night and it's all, it's all peace and love. They play music, they serve guests lovely food and they say, you know, this is the way we live and it's all the Disney world, it's all the Disney shop front of the, of the 12 tribes you know this is a lovely world we all belong to one another and and so over time you're invited to come back every friday until sometimes often people go you know what i want to stay here this is cool i love this environment i love these people i belong here and that's you end up staying and what happens after that, like what happens within the four walls once you're in, once they know, I mean, I don't know the right language for this, right? Because this is all new for me, but I guess once you've gone through that honeymoon phase and you move and you separate from your family, what what happens then? What does life look like once you're in the 12 tribes? Sure. You're given a new Hebrew name, okay? You're baptised once you are accepted into the group and you, not straight away, but once you've kind of proved your bona fides and worked on the farm for a while and you've shown commitment, you get baptised. You are washed of your sins. There's a little creek that runs through the property out there in Picton, beautiful little property. So you're baptised in the creek, you're given a new name, which is part of a dangerous part of this because loved ones on the outside can lose track of their loved ones on the inside. Hmm. You're given a new name, new set of clothes, and you're given a job usually. You work in the fields or you work in the kitchens or the homeschooling. And then slowly over time, they don't introduce you to the theology, the really extreme kooky theology, straight away. It's a slow process. If they said straight away, you've got to discipline your children so hard that they become automatons, you've got to beat them every time they disobey you, you wouldn't join. They'd go, what? If they said to you, oh, by the way, we're raising an army of fierce warrior angels, 144,000 boy soldiers to go into Armageddon and and defeat Satan at the end of the world, you go, "Um, okay, all of this comes on slowly. You're introduced bit by bit, okay? 
So over time, you lose contact with the people on the outside, you become more committed to the group, and you start kind of taking on their their teachings. You kind of go, oh, okay, right, well, seems a bit kooky, but everything else is great. So then you slowly begin to acclimatise and you internalise all that strange, all the strange methodologies and and the things they're telling you. It's almost like a grooming process. Totally. It's exactly the same as a grooming process. Mm. Nobody willingly joins a cult where they're going to lose their independence, their thoughts, be brainwashed, beat their children, be, you know, Mark and Rose were lost all contact with their outside world. They were shuttled around. They were kept from their family who came looking for them, people who loved them. The cult shipped them, flew them around the world in order to make them to escape their family, right? Hide them. They hid them around the world in different places. That's how intense this group is. Now, nobody goes into that straight away. You don't know that. It's when you're totally involved, you're totally invested that that kind of thing happens. It's almost like your sense of reality becomes warped, you know, yeah, like totally, yeah. what yeah. you knew as normal no longer sits like that. There's no sense of reality to how you knew it before you came in, but it happens slowly over time without you even being aware or noticing. Yes, that's exactly what happens. And, you know, the prevalence of cults around the world shows that, you know, Matthew Klein is a, is a chemical engineer. He's a scientist. He's not a stupid guy. He went into it for reasons of his own. He's, Matt Klein was the guy who originally alerted me to the group. The people who join here are doctors. There's a, there are doctors out there as part of this group. And lawyers, you know, when I was listening to your, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. People, you know, one thing that really annoys me, and we can talk about this later if you want to edit this, but one thing that really pisses me off is that people go, what a bunch of idiots. You know, these people should just leave. You know, what suckers. You know, I would never get sucked into a cult. And that's like saying to a woman who's trapped in an abusive relationship, oh, you know, you should just leave. You're an idiot for, for getting trapped in that relationship. Why don't you just leave? It's your fault. You would never say that to someone who is in a coercive relationship. Well, people do say that to people that are in a coercive yeah, relationship. Yeah. I was thinking that as you were saying, I'm like the most common question I hear and get asked when I've um, worked with different people from different religious groups and different cults and different all walks of life, and I worked in domestic violence for about 10 years, is why don't people leave? When they realise, why do they not leave? And it's like, it's not that simple. Yeah. <laughs> if it was, no one would be there. Yeah. If it was that simple, people wouldn't be trapped in these abusive relationships. Yeah. We wouldn't have coercive control laws coming in. Mm-mm. People wouldn't be sucked into cults. It's just not that easy. And where are they going to go? And everything's been taken, you know, financial, emotional, social support, family support. Their children are now in there. You know, like you mentioned it earlier, sometimes when someone decides to leave, their family aren't ready to. One person might be ready to leave, but the others are like, no, I I love it here. Or no, I'm terrified of the outside world. One particularly powerful way that all cults and particularly the 12 tribes operate is that they tell they're, number one, they isolate you from your loved ones completely. You're cut off from the outside world. So, again, over time, slowly. So that allows the cult to have full control of you and the information you're receiving, okay? But they also tell you messages in there like, if you leave, who's going to look after you? What job are you going to get? You've lost all your credentials now. You haven't had a job in 10 years. What, how are you going to support yourself? 
The world outside is evil, and this is particularly effective with kids who are born inside the group. They're totally indoctrinated. Leaving, They are told that if you leave, you will turn gay, which is one of the worst things you can possibly be. You'll become a prostitute. You have to sell yourself on the street. You'll die in a car crash. You'll make volcanoes burst open. You will Planes will drop out of the sky. You'll be thrown into the lake of fire, which is where people go who have sinned, and you will burn for eternity. So if you're young and that's all you've been brought up with, but you're not going to leave. It's terrifying prospect leaving. But also if someone does try to leave, the violence that can happen around someone trying to leave and the shaming. So, you know, if someone does try and then you're publicly shamed in front of everyone, that breaks down someone's soul. You know, it's yeah. like I can't be in this position ever again, so I'm going to do everything I can to avoid it, which means conforming, doing the right thing, following what they're telling me to. Also, I wanted to say one thing, getting ostracised it's one thing that everybody will be allowed to. People want to belong to a group. Mm. Like people really want to belong to the group and fit in and not be ostracised. The whole idea of being shunned and ashamed in front of your peers is deeply frightening. You know, that's your worst nightmare. You want to belong to a group and be accepted. If you are looking to leave and people find out in the 12 tribes, you are shamed, you are ostracised, you are cut off, often in, in solitary put in a room by yourself for can be for like days and you know that's a terrifying that's a deeply human net that's violating a deeply held human need which is to belong and safety and safety yes safety it's key and they they do it all this group and let's have a conversation around some of the abuse that goes on in there i think for me that was I've worked a lot with child sexual abuse, with domestic violence, yet I still found my jaw dropping when I was listening to your podcast around them having a child training manual and gagging children under the age of six months yeah. and beating babies when they're trying to change their diapers because the baby's wriggling. Like I just I felt like I was going to physically vomit and I've heard a lot over the years and I still was like it still catches me, you know, because it's like how – how in this day and age can this still be happening? Mm, yeah, and why aren't the police doing anything about yes. it? Yes. This is something that blows me away. And in the podcast, we ask the questions, what the hell are the police doing? Yes. Anyway, look, I'll explain. The thing about the abuse is that it's predicated and it's built into the group's theology. Okay. So if you're raising an army of boy soldiers to go into battle and defeat Satan, like any army, they have to have incredible discipline and do what they're told. And so the whole methodology from a very young age, in fact, from birth, right, for these kids, is if they don't obey you, if they don't show obedience immediately to an adult, they're beaten. Because if you don't beat them, they won't grow up to be good soldiers to go into battle against Satan. And when I say beaten, they often can be thrashed with a, with a cane that is kept in many circumstances on the door ledge above every wound. And they can be beaten for hours. They can be beaten for anything. They can be beaten for walking too slowly, for talking out of turn, for playing a game, for eating a lolly, for not obeying immediately. You've got to obey on the first command. When someone, an adult says do something, you must do it straight away, not be asked twice. And any adult, you know, you said that earlier, it's not just your parents, it's also any adult. Yeah, extremely disturbing, right? And kids come out of this group really messed up. 
Like mm. I can't mention their names, we couldn't use them, but there are kids out there, adults who are now adults who are extremely disturbed and they've beaten all their lives and they couldn't talk to us about it. They're too messed up to go to the cops. It's brutal. I mean, it's just bizarre what they do and how they're allowed to get away with it. I know. And I think about, I had a really dear friend of mine that came to school that had just gotten out of a cult and she explained it to me like, you need to understand that I'd been told my whole life that you and the world you live in is not safe and it's not normal. And now you expect me to sit here with you and eat lunch and have a conversation with you. And she's like, this is so foreign to me. Everything from the clothes that I wear to the conversations that we have to being able to watch TV to being able to call someone to being able to ask questions to simply being able to put my hand up and ask a question because I'm curious. Like, you know, she said, you just, you, I can't even explain that enough. And she, when I met her, had been out for about maybe a year and a half, and she still was finding it mind-blowing just being in a room with everyone normally and walking around. She's like, I still feel like I'm homeless in my body. Yeah, and it can result in ongoing violence. Like we know a case that we couldn't fully report on of an elder of the group being murdered in Australia by someone extremely close to him, and you can read into that what you will, because that person extremely close to him had been subject to beatings all their life. Mm. So they, yeah, it can cause murder yeah, in Australia and that's what's going on. Another thing that's really fascinating and dark is it, it, re- it reminded me, the more I look at the group and as we explain in the podcast, it's really like The Handmaid's Tale, okay? Women are subject to men's command. They are not the heads of the family. The men are the heads of the family and the women, will, and women are basically their property and they're there to make children, okay? So they're there to make children, look after the kids, and work in the kitchen and do wash the clothes and teach, all that sort of stuff. It's like going back to the 1850s. So after a while, this is really, that's an abusive situation to be in as well. So a lot of the women who, who get out, who we talk to, just have to remake their sense of self, you know, like what the hell? You know, one woman had to, she came out, didn't have anything, woman who in, in Sydney at the age of late 40s she was and she had to remake her entire life she had to meet a partner, you know, she had to start a business, her own business, not meet a partner, but had to start a business. She did really well. She started a cafe in, in Sydney. She rebuilt everything, you know, which meant um, remaking the image of herself that she had in her head. And having self-worth when you've been told your whole life that you're worthless. Yeah, yeah, and that you're there for a certain reason, a certain reason only. In 2000 20, I think it was, they stopped, the police heard about the allegations that we had aired mm-hmm. and the same allegations that I'd written about in, the, in Good Weekend and the Sydney Morning Herald about them burying stillborn babies in the bush. This is illegal. You can't just have, you know, keep on producing stillborn babies, not register them, not look for proper medical care, and then just bury them in the bush. Okay. Like, so the cops raided the compound in Picton, the, Good, uh, the um, 12 tribes compound in Picton. They went digging on their properties. It was called Operation Managai. It was thought back then that there would be people in the dock. There were going to be charges laid for this. Nothing has happened since. And whenever we approach the cops, I get the same response. Oh, it's an ongoing investigation. You know, I cannot, I cannot get any response, meaningful response from the police and people who have escaped the cult are just baffled by it. I don't even have words for that. 
I know. It's incredible. I think in many cases part of the problem is that a lot of the people who leave the cult who you, you need to come forward and testify, a lot of them, this is why it was so hard making this podcast, a lot of them are terrified, number one, for reasons we explained before. They're terrified of offending those who are in, inside. They're terrified of speaking out also because they lose contact with their loved ones who are still in the cult. They're barred from talking to anybody. You will be shunned, cut off completely from the community. You'll never see your daughter again, your father, your son, whatever. So they're terrified of that. So they don't go to the cops. Also, often they don't go to the cops because they're exhausted and they want to put the whole episode behind them. They never want to talk about it again. They don't want to be reminded of the fact that they were in there to begin with. And then, you know, it's shameful to, to admit that you got gulled, that you got sucked into this terrible experience, that you got abused and used, you know. I'd imagine that'd also be terrible that they're going to be found. Yeah, um, that, well, they found remains out there, so they found baby remains. But, again, don't ask me. Call up, I, I would ask the listeners to call up the police in Katoomba, Blue Mountains Police, and say, how is Operation Nanagai going? And ask them how it's going. I've always understood with some charges like this, if if people don't want to come forward, then they, they don't have someone to stand up in court, right? But this is an international operation that's going on with multiple leaks that have come out, whether that be someone leaving, whether that's someone seeing something, whether that, you know, like it's so hard to believe that across all the countries in the world, someone hasn't been able to penetrate this group to charge for murder, for abuse, for everything. I mean, the FBI in the States uh, have an open file on this group in, in America. They've been looking at the most outrageous allegations and they start, they still can't make it stick. That's how it's very, they're a very slippery group. They hide their assets as well. So it's very difficult to, if someone were to make a wage claim, say, the thing about the 12 tribes is all the stuff, all the members work for free. They slay their guts out in their businesses for free. They never get paid a cent. Very hard for them to get their money back. Anyway, that's, I got off topic. But yeah, I mean, look, in Germany, they did have some success. In Germany, it's illegal to beat your children. Okay. As we, we tell the story in the podcast of a German documentary maker, very brave German documentary maker, and I urge, please listen to the podcast just if only to hear the story of this guy. He went in there to and infiltrated the German branch of the 12 tribes. He placed cameras, hidden cameras throughout, the, throughout the, their, their buildings, and he captured them beating their children. He took that footage to the police and there was a there was a huge uproar and police intervened and it became untenable for the group to be there and they left they had to leave they I think they went to Czechoslovakia so it can be done you know they can be caught and prosecuted again it was well in the in the early 80s they were in america the group there was a massive investigation into the into the 12 tribes and a lot of children were taken away i think 150 children were separated from their parents taken away into, into custody to protect them. Now, the government intervened in that and said the state has no place separating kids from their parents, and it's a vexed issue. Is it safer to leave them with their parents where they will be beaten or is it safer to separate them and so where they don't have a parent at all? It's really, <laughs> what do you do? 
So again, it's not a black and white situation. It's running, running in there and taking the kids. Mm, it sounds, it's on a mass scale, right? When I'm hearing you talk though, it is what happens in a domestic violence situation where yeah. as soon as something gets discovered, people move, they relocate, they isolate them back out, things get shut down, you know, it goes underground, people move. And it's why it's so hard and everyone that's in there doesn't have a voice. They don't have a voice or they would speak up. And then when they leave, like you said, the trauma they're just trying to live every single day now yeah. without reliving that trauma, without having to be put back in the middle of it. Like they've to be able to get out of something like this, what someone has to go through, and I'm going to ask you about that, when you come out the other side, the last thing you want to do is put yourself back in it, you know? Yeah. The last thing you want to do is revisit the whole thing. Everything. Um, and people aren't going to believe you. Like even as you're talking, you said it. You said yourself, I did not believe they were bearing babies. Like, no, I didn't believe it. Yeah. You know, yep. until until Rose, the main woman on our podcast, whose story we follow all the way through, because what happened to her is quite bizarre and remarkable. She had to bury one of her babies that was stillborn. Mm. Now, you know, it, that she went to the police, she got indemnity, she told the police where the baby was buried, they found remains. Okay. It's happening. It's real. But I didn't even I didn't believe that it was happening when I first heard it. And if this is the stuff we know about my fear is for what we don't know about. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. this is the things that like when I've worked with people that have experienced trauma, they can only give you a little bit, right, because of the shame that sits there. You get a small piece of the story. Very rarely do you get the whole story. So what we're hearing is a version that would be so much more cutthroat and ruthless than what we're even discussing here today. Yeah, yeah, it's scary, isn't it? I mean, yeah. the stuff we're coming up with. As the podcast is an ongoing project, you know, we did nine episodes, but we've already got two bonus episodes. We're working on a third and then there's a fourth, a fifth, a sixth. You not believe the stuff that's coming out. It's just remarkable. So watch this space. And we've talked a lot about the 12 tribes, but, you know, let's just take a step back for a moment and, and have a conversation about what a cult is. Okay. A cult, a real cult, has certain specific defining characteristics. So. One of the first characteristics, I mean, they are called a high, the best way to think of a cult is as a high control group. Technically, that's what they're often called. By high control, it means they control every part of your life, your relationships, your money, your ability to carry on in the outside world and your thoughts. So after a while, they control all of that. The 12 tribes at one point was called a teeth, hair, and eyeballs group, meaning they control you utterly, your teeth, your hair, and your eyeballs from head to toe. Now, another facet of a cult is that they believe that they are the sole conduit to salvation. They are the one and only way to get saved. They are, they are the one and only truth that all the other groups in the world, all the other religions, all the other people and non-members are damned, are wrong. They're wrong in their outlook and they're damned. Uh, if they, and you must join to gain salvation, okay? And the third thing I, th I think is that they lead their adherence to, to the belief that there is no world outside for them, there is no hope if they leave, that there's nothing waiting for them on the outside. And so they remove options for you and that's why you stay so often with the 12 tribes, one of the common ways, the common facets of the cult is a process called love bombing. So love bombing is when 
and this is what Rose and Mark got subject to when they first joined. In fact, it's what always happens when people go out on the Friday nights to the cult in Picton. Members of the cult will love bomb you, okay? If you're new, if you're walking through the door, they will compliment you. They will say, man, you're so great. You're so, man, you're really a nice guy. You're so, you know, they flood you with appreciation and compliments and love and flattery and who among us is not, is not vulnerable to that? Yeah, especially when you're in a dark place already or you... Especially when you're vulnerable. Yeah. yeah. Especially when you're looking for connection or you're at a sort of a, an access point, you're at a hinge point in your life where maybe you've lost contact with your friends, you've returned from overseas like Mark and Rose did. They were really vulnerable, just a short vulnerable period in their lives. They, didn't, they hadn't found real jobs yet. They hadn't connected with their old friends, so they were vulnerable. When they went out there, they were love-bombed. Wow, Mark, you're so talented with that guitar you're playing. Wow, Rose, you speak Spanish and French. You, you're amazing. You know, you're incredible. After a while, it's like, oh, my God, it's very appealing. Yeah. So that's another facet that's very common. You know, Tim, and this is why I don't want to give everything away for everyone at the listeners. So this is why they need to come over to the podcast and have a listen. You know, I'm, um, I think I'm up to episode six and I have had to stop start it if, I, if I'm honest and I have to stop start because it's so much to digest. Yeah. But so interesting and, and just what we said, how is this still happening today? And it hasn't been penetrated and people being charged. Like it just, that's where I keep coming back to over and over and over again. Tim, what I want to ask you now is about your experience, you personally, your experience of doing this podcast, of being opened up into this world. How has that been for you? What have been the challenges? One of the greatest challenges for me was actually hearing it all. And also I fell in love with the characters, right? You just, these people are beautiful people and they're idealists. And to see what what they went through was very confronting. And to see how what happened to their children as well was very confronting. And also just on a more mundane basis, I'd never done a podcast. I did it with an extremely well-respected podcaster called Camille Bianchi, who actually was nominated for a Walkley Award uh, last year for her podcast called The Nurse. So she kind of, we did it together, but it was just a different type of storytelling, a different type of journalism. And it was fascinating in that sense, just such an interesting process and how to do it. Yeah. And how do you, I guess, when you think about all of your experience as a journalist, how do you protect yourself and keep yourself safe from these stories, whether it be the 12 tribes or other stories you've reported on? Oh, look, I don't think that's an issue for me. I think it's an issue for the people I'm interviewing. I've got it easy. I talk to them. I develop a rapport, but I don't, I'm not going to say that I'm suffering like they are. They're the people who need the support and the sympathy and the empathy. And they're the ones who I really worry about. Yeah. So interesting. Like, we don't want to spoil it, right? We want to send everyone across to the podcast. But I guess one of the questions I want to ask you before you leave is what message do you have for the audience? Like everyone that's listening here today, if they could do one thing or something that we haven't spoken about, what would it be? I would say call the police at Katoomba, I think it's Blue Mountains Police, and ask them why this group is allowed to be there when the allegations of child beating are quite, they're widespread and quite well-founded. Why haven't they done anything about it? I don't understand. I can't get a clear answer. And I would also like to find out what is happening with Operation Nanagai. 
Why haven't they prosecuted anybody? What have they found out? Is the investigation ongoing or is it just completely stalled? Please call the police out there and pressure them and and ask them to hold this group accountable. That's what I would ask. Do we have a right to ask those questions? I didn't realise that we did. Like, Well, you can say, you know, just of course we all have a right. You've got an obligation. If you hear that someone's being abused, you've got an mm-hmm. obligation to report it. And I think in this instance it's much the same as a as anything else you're hearing about. You might be hearing a podcast, but these are credible and sustained and widespread allegations. The police should take action. They should be... They should make the group accountable and they should be accountable for their investigations. So because it feels like a big step even for me after listening to the story to pick up the phone and call the police. So you're, you're saying like. Why? Lit- why? If you- no, that's why I'm asking. Like yeah. I know the audience are going to be thinking this as well, that everyone's just going to shy away, right, because it's too hard. It's too awkward. It's too hard. And so it's why I want to ask the next question. So, you know, you're literally saying pick up the phone, call the Blue Mountains police, yeah. ask about, you know, what's happening with this investigation. And, yes, you might get no answers, but the fact that we've made the call could be the difference between if everyone listening here, if 100, 1,000, 5,000 people that hear this podcast today pick up the phone and ask the question, imagine the impact that could have on these children's lives. Yes, that's a real impact you could have. Mm. You know, everyone has the right to call the police and say I've heard something disturbing. Everybody's got that right. Yeah. You know, I, if I hear someone shouting next door and it sounds really sinister, I call the cops. Yeah. You're allowed to do that. The cops will listen. That That is their job. Go out there and call them. And it's too easy to walk past and put our heads down. I get it, but it is. It's too easy to say, oh, it's not my problem or it's not that hard or someone else will do it, you know, but if everyone's saying that, no one's doing anything. Yeah, get active. Also, there's another, you know, there's you can pressure the government in the sense that we're trying to, there's a woman who we're working with at the moment to try and have the coercive control laws we want to make them cover groups and high control groups like cults. It's exactly the same, you know, someone who's caught in DV relationship and abusive relationship where they're being controlled by their partner. It is exactly the same as that, only it's happening on a group scale, not an individual scale. Why should the laws not, and coercive control laws, not cover those people as well? I didn't know that it d- doesn't. No, it doesn't. You can, you, as far as I know, there's a, a woman called Sarah Steele who's approaching. We're all trying to. It, it's only a one-off, a one-off thing. It covers individuals. You can't go and say, "Oh, there's this group who's being." Wow. Uh, yeah, as far as I know, yeah. So we're trying to broaden it out to high-control groups, to cults. I genuinely think this is the one podcast where I have been so speechless throughout throughout it so many times, and even right then when you say that, I'm just like. How is that? How is that a thing? Or how is it not a thing? You know, like, yeah, yeah, blows my mind. Yeah. Oh, well, Tim, thank you so, so much for giving up your time today. And, you know, I'm really proud of us for having this conversation because when we have enough of these conversations in enough spaces and people take enough action, that's how we make change. So we need to be having more of these conversations. Yeah. Thanks so much. Look, thanks so much. I agree. And thanks so much for having me on. And, um, I would just urge people to listen to the podcast, share it around and get active. And I love to ask every guest at the end of the podcast, who or what in your world truly makes you belly laugh? And I mean like, you know where you get the giggle juice and you can't stop laughing? <laughs> some of the stories I've done, actually some of the stories I've done, I did a story once on for Good Weekend magazine about a court case where a woman 
went all the way to the Supreme Court because essentially another woman tipped a plate of coleslaw on her at a bowling club. Yeah. So that (laughs) – and reading – I know that doesn't sound (laughs) funny enough, but (laughs) reading some of the affidavits, the the evidence given by these people, uh, members of the bowling club, that was hilarious. That was just (laughs) – I mean, just ludicrous. But anyway. Nothing like using the resources that we have. The <laughs> thing that makes me laugh and I really enjoy is some reality TV programs just to chill and unwind. They're fantastic. A lot of people look down on them. I always say if you want to really unwind and have some no-brainer entertainment after a hectic day, they're great. Which one's your fave at the moment? Maths. I know that. Marriage is first sight. Maths? You don't know maths? No, I don't know. Oh my god! Okay, this that you are you are seriously missing a large part of pop culture. I'm going to send you a text message after I watch it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you, thank you so much, Tim. Okay, thanks for having me on, Ellie. Wow! It doesn't matter how many times I hear about high-controlled groups; it always floors me. The allegations of abuse and cover-ups. I've had so many friends over the years who have been involved in similar groups in these situations where they felt unsafe and experienced violence or were unable to remove themselves from the situation. Once they do remove themselves, however, it is devastating for them as their families and friends are often still involved. It can take so much courage to walk away from a situation you know is not right for you at that point. If you are listening today, and you have lived experience in this space, or you are currently living in a situation that you no longer want to be in, I want you to know that we are here for you. I hope everyone remains safe this week, and I'm sending you all my love and support. If any of this content causes you distress, know there is help available. You can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. As we approach the first year anniversary of Challenges That Change Us, Yes, that's right. I said first year anniversary. We have been busy behind the scenes planning some pretty cool stuff for you all. And don't forget that I'm running that disc personality profiling workshop on the 2nd of April in Armidale and there is limited spaces. So jump on the show notes now or into our Facebook community to get the link to sign up today. You will not regret doing this workshop. I use this tool on a daily basis in my work, with my family, in all my close relationships. I look forward to next week's pod and I will see you all on Monday. Thank you everyone for listening and taking the time out of your day. I believe we can learn so much from connecting with other people's experiences and stories. I hope you've gained some strategies and insight from today's episode. You can gain more by joining our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or next week we will return with another episode. Oh, 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 oh,